Welcome to Season 4, Episode 23 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast that is presenting the new dawn of engineering challenges. My name is Melanie, and my co-host and our podcast resident engineer is Dominic DeJoya. Our guest has been delivering complex and challenging projects across Australia, United Kingdom and Singapore for over 20 years as a chartered professional engineer. She implements innovative and economical solutions to project challenges and is passionate in pushing the boundaries of modular technologies. With her experience and expertise in systemized technology, our guest is currently leading the AECOM Modular Initiatives, working closely with digital disruptors to integrate technologies from Industry 4.0 with established lean methodologies in the construction prefabrication space. Our guest is an adjunct industry fellow with Swinburne University and an industry technical advisor to Melbourne University Camp H Initiative. She's also on the board of directors for Prefab Os, a hub advocating prefabrication in Australia. And in November 2020, our guest is talking on the topic of Prefabrication Industry 4.0, Model for Tomorrow, at Engineer Australia's Australasian Structural Engineering Conference. Joining Mel and I today on Engineering Heroes is Joyce Fern. Initially, Joyce got into engineering just to prove a point. Growing up, she was very good in the STEM subjects and was one of those kids that would just take a family's video recorder apart, yet be able to put it back together so that it still worked. Joyce loved solving problems and making things that were complicated into something that was simple. When it came time to select her university course, Joyce's family was pressuring her to go into a traditional female field, something like finance or business. But at the very last minute, Joyce did a little sneaky and swapped the forms and put down engineering because she wanted to prove the point that she could do as good a job as any guy. Obviously, it didn't go down too well with my Asian parents. We had a bit of a a fight and but I think they finally I think about now they they've come around to it. So, yeah, <laughs> that twenty years later, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, 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 pretty much. So that's how I landed up doing engineering, and I never regretted that. I think I enjoyed myself. So besides the rebellion, was there something like you could have picked anything? What made you pick engineering? Did you know much about it? I think I like something that I can create and build and I can see it. So there was the option of going into like maybe electrical engineering. You know, you can't you can't see all the electricity that's going through the cables, you know. And the other stuff like chemistry, I'm not into chemistry. Atoms and the molecules doesn't speak to me. But buildings does, you know, it's it's amazing and it's a testament of what you do, your creativity is there for a long, long, long time. After you finished your, your course, do you remember what your first project was? My first project was actually in Singapore. I did my university in Singapore. And uh, during that time, it wasn't that much of a training. They don't like guide you through the process. They just, okay, here's a project. Let's get going. You know, you studied <laughs> four years in the university. You know what you need to do. So get going. So the first thing I had to do was to witness a piling test. We were actually building a school and the design was actually pretty much done. And it was all site works. And you're fresh out of uni and you go to the site and you're supposed to witness a piling test. 
what is a pollen test? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking this while you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had to ask all my seniors, you know, what am I supposed to be looking at? You know, what am I supposed to check? I have no idea. So in a way, I was kind of thrown into the deep end. And it's either you sink or you swim. So, you know, you had to learn things very, very fast. So having done the site first and then do the design kind of makes sense because you actually see how things are being done on site. And then when you actually do your design work, you can actually make it a lot more efficient rather than you designing and putting in rebars and designing how much stuff, but it actually went on site, you actually can't physically fit it. So I had kind of the reverse kind of training. So I had the site experience first and then the design experience, if you call it. Oh, wow. I just just love the trial by fire. It seems to be a common theme with a lot of people. I just I love the fact that you got that side experience early in your career as well. I'm assuming it gave you a much better understanding once you went back into the design side. The design side, yeah. yeah. Correct. It's it's all well and good when you draw it on paper and you go, That'll be great. But then when the guys on site uh, you know, you've you got people it. on site who try it and they go, It doesn't work. So and it happens so often. Uh, Particularly, I know even in our side of things where you're doing ducks in buildings and the people on site are looking at it going, that's all well and good, but they don't make fittings that allow me to get things in and out of that duck like you've drawn it. So it's nice to know how it all goes together at the beginning. Yeah, although it was pretty tough, I mean, being on site and and Singapore is uh, really, really hot and humid. So being on site (laughs) is uh, pretty tough, yeah. So what made you decide to leave Singapore and come to Australia? Uh, I landed in 2012 and I was in Perth. I landed in Perth, actually, and it was a huge difference. Had a bit of a a shock, a cultural shock uh, or, yeah, probably work environment shock. But I I love it because I landed up doing uh, a lot of mining works up in the Pilbara. So um, and that's where my interest in modular and prefabrication came about. You know, I was thinking of ways of actually using prefabrication as a way of construction, a new way of application. So instead of thinking of the dongas just for temporary accommodation and just there for the miners, the quality is poor, we can actually use that kind of methodology to build in our traditional construction, the high rises. So we can employ the sort of methods. So after a couple of years in Perth, I landed up in Melbourne because at AECOM, where I'm working right now, they were looking for someone to lead this particular initiative, prefabrication initiative, or what we call off-site manufacturing. So it kind of gels well with my passion now, and I strongly believe this is where the, the industry will be heading. It's a very exciting area to be in. Yeah, definitely. It's an emerging area. It's one of those areas that just seems to be really forging ahead in regards to the work that you're doing. We are doing things very antiquatedly. We're not progressive and we tend to accept it as well and change is inevitable you know we're talking about sustainability movement we're talking about so many other things that's coming online like a different shift in the skill set of people the generations the new generations of engineers are completely different from where i come from and we're not actually catering for that so we need to do things very very differently a change in the whole concept of uh, how we design things and how we construct things. So I think that's something that we need to address. We need to build things that are more resilient and more sustainable. And we need to be future-focused 
rather than solving problems for today, but actually creating a lot of problems for the future. So I can give you a classic example. Yeah, yeah. yeah please do. When you look at, we talk about sustainability. So the response is, yes, we use renewables. We have wind turbines. We start sprouting the countryside with wind turbines. But do we ever consider what we do with the end of life of this particular product? Now, we have lots and lots of wind turbines now coming to the end of their lifespan. And what do we do with them? We can't recycle them. They are very, very strong. And they're as big as a Boeing wing, 747 Boeing wing. So what do you do with that? You actually bury them. You bury them as landfill. Yes. And in US, right, they've just decommissioned a whole wind farm. Per year, we are burying 8,000 wind turbines. And this is going to go on for the next four years just to clear that whole wind farm. So we are not solving the problem. We are pushing the problem to the future. I think this is something that we seriously as engineers, we need to address. We need to look at things very, very differently. The solution that we have needs to have a lifespan way beyond what we can foresee right now. We shouldn't be pressured into coming up with a solution that will create more problems in the future. Absolutely. That is is the the scary part of it as well, because we do need to move towards renewables, but people seem to forget that there's waste associated with everything. So it's really a case of, it's lovely that we can get this power from wind, but if you're going to end up with a massive problem at the other end of the the life of the the product, then is it really just, is Is it it really worth it? Really saving the environment or are we just postponing it for a later date? And and that's been the problem with innovation all through time is that it's a solution for now, but it's a problem for future. So I was going to ask as well in regards to moving on from antiquated ideals and processes is it something that you find in having practiced engineering in other countries do you find that there's other countries that are more forward thinking in relation to this or is it across the board where we're still using the same techniques no matter where we are yeah funny you should ask that i think australia unfortunately we are a lot more backward i think a lot of things that we are actually doing are maybe about 10 15 years behind so things that i actually learned in the uk we are only just discovering over here. I think in each country, the development is slightly different in terms of the level, in terms of the advancement. You know, like renewables and designing a building, say, for example, that is airtight, that is energy efficient. Now, in UK, we've been using double glazing, triple glazing, insulation, and that's been specified across for, for many, many years, for decades now. Whereas over here, Melbourne is pretty cold, and I'm sure Sydney, you know, during winter as well, it has its days. We're still using single glaze windows. We're not even talking about double glazing, and, and in Europe, we're talking about triple glaze already. So we are very behind in terms of technology that we're using. And also, we are behind in adopting change. We are very traditional you know, I, I still get things like, Joyce, I've been doing this for 40 years, you know. You know, when I go to site and say, oh, maybe we can do it this way, and I get that. I've been doing this for 40 years, Joyce, yeah. And it's it's funny how we we only ever seem to react to the things that, that bother us most. Because there's a story that my father always used to tell in regards to one of his friends who was Swedish, and he moved to Australia, and he used to always say, 
the winters in Sydney are the coldest he's ever experienced. And we used to just say to him, my father used to say to him, what are you talking about? Then he'd say, the buildings in Sweden are designed for the cold. So you make sure that they're warm, they're they're designed in in order to give you efficient heating. Whereas in Sydney, all we care about is summer. When winter comes around, we just sort of, we do whatever it takes. But we have another blanket. Yeah, that's it. We have these (laughs) amazingly inefficient homes. But all we care about is whether or not they're air-conditioned for the summer. So I think you need to consider all of the applications and what's going on across the board, not just that one problem that crops up. Yep. I think it's a holistic solution or what we call, I like to call it an integrated solution. And although I know I'm in the structural stream or engineering discipline, I like to think of uh, when we deliver a building, it's not just about the structure, it's about the functionality of that whole building. So we talk about the acoustics, we talk about the fire, compliances, everything, the energy efficiency of things, and also the building or the materials within that building. We'll need to look at how we can bring it from cradle to cradle not cradle to grave a rebirth yes correct we need to adopt materials that we can pull apart and recycle the parts you know we can break it down to other components that we can reuse them rather than just using them and then that's it we pack it aside and then it goes into the landfill there's a lot of opportunity especially now with covid when we come up from the other side There's a lot of opportunity, you know, the government is pumping a lot of money into the infrastructure. I think this is a time to embrace the change that's going to come and then utilise all this to build a better, resilient future. So with Australia lagging behind in regards to this renewable area, are there some solutions that we can potentially look at locally in order to bring us forward? I think most definitely, you know, the other countries, they have new creative ideas and they've got their heating problems. So we can learn from that and we can kind of like skip across that to the next level. (laughs) So there are seriously a lot of opportunities. And to be honest, Australians are very, very creative. You know, I work a lot with the universities as well. And the ideas that is generated is actually very, very applicable. It's just that the industry needs to be brave enough and the government needs to come into the picture as well in collaboration to push this forward. So there, there are signs and there are trends that are showing that this trend is happening. For example, the federal government is actually pumping money into creating a hub, a prefabrication hub, for this to happen. So utilising this as a mechanism to pull researchers in, the industry as well as the government backing, to actually create that sort of innovative uh, solution for the future. Do you think the framework is in place to support the movement? If we don't have the processes in place to constantly renew and reinvent and revigor the, the policies and the, the system, we'll only fall behind again? Yeah, the infrastructure is very important. And I can give you a classic example of Singapore. Obviously, we know that Singapore is very restrictive. The government uh, controls a lot of things. So they were very, very adamant that they wanted to use prefabrication in the construction industry. And they actually changed a lot of logistics policy just to suit that. So for example, their road requirements, the width, the load that the truck can carry, they actually changed that to adopt it. And they give the contractors or the the builders incentive to actually build with modular construction. 
So it is not that they have to pay a premium in terms of cost just to use this new methodology, but the government actually provide incentives to match that so that they're not out of pocket. So by creating this sort of environment where something that's new becomes a norm, then you don't need to do anything else. By default, everyone will be just following in line and developing that. So it is very important that the government comes to the table and drive this as well. So there must be a road map between industry, government and the academics coming together to drive Mm. this. Yeah, it needs to have all parties involved in ensuring that Australia becomes innovative instead of just in theory, but actually in practice. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the future of engineering? Do you think Australia will get there? I, I believe so. You know, when we work with a lot of engineers that's coming into our organisation, they are very creative, they're very innovative, and they are very, very tech-savvy as well. So they do things a lot quicker, a lot more efficient in terms of now we're using all this computer modelling, the di- digital age. So with the kind of the older engineers like myself, we have the experience, but they have the tech savviness that actually combines it to create a very good recipe for creativity and innovations. So what would you say to engineers that are coming into that future? Don't be afraid of challenging the status quo. I think that would be my my statement to them. You know, always mm. ask why we are doing what we're doing. Always think about a better way of doing it. Be creative, you know, thinking outside the box. Basically coming up with ways of doing things differently or better. Push those boundaries is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, I can just imagine a teenager coming out of you. They won't be teenagers. A young 20-year-old coming up to me. He's like, no, no, I'm just doing this. It's like, just get back in you. I've been doing this for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. I know, you've got to be careful about that one, don't we? Yes. I, I do enjoy it because at the end of the day, right, when you sit down with them and you have this brainstorming session, you do actually learn a lot of things because they see things from a very, very different perspective. And because you're all and jaded, you know, you see things in a, <laughs> in, a, in a different way. It kind of freshens up your way of thinking. It's true because it's great to feed off their energy. Like, it, And I know we've had some engineers who I've worked with and who were kind of just starting out in their careers. And they're, they're so they haven't become jaded yet. They're so <laughs> enthused about their career. And it's great because it, it gives you a little bit of a, yeah, yeah, it is. It is a great industry. Like, so it, it um, gives a... you a bit more vitality and um, correct, refreshes correct. you. Um, refreshes it kind of it kind of reminds you of uh, who you were, you know, when you first started out, you know, yeah, the, yes, yes. so inspired to do, do so many things. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I, I love this. So we've now moved on to advice for the uh, old dinosaurs out there. It's like surround yourself with the young, <laughs> young people engineers. and be inspired. That's pretty true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's covering all the ranges of uh, target markets. So just to wrap up, what's a piece of engineering that has inspired or impressed you? I kind of like the old buildings. And uh, I think one of the civilization that actually impresses me is the Egyptian civilization. And the precision in their construction that they actually manage without all the technology that we have currently, I think that's, that's pretty amazing. My favorite one would be the Abu Simbel Temple. So it is a temple that is somewhere near Aswan. And it is carved out from a mountain side, you know, four big statues of about 30 meters high. 
And the beauty of it is that they actually managed to calculate the alignment of the sun shining through the entrance into the heart of the mountains, 50 meters inside to a specific yeah. spot twice a year. That kind of precision, I, I, it still staggers me in my mind how they actually get that. And this whole whole temple was actually relocated. It was actually carved up in the 1960s because they wanted to flood that whole area to create a, a dam. So they had to carve the whole piece up and then lifted it about 60 over meters high and 200 meters back away wow. from the river. And uh, they couldn't get back that alignment because it's completely off now. (laughs) With that technology that we have right now, right? They couldn't get it spot on. Yeah, it's off. That's that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, the tools and the techniques they had at that time and they still managed to take us to school, really. (laughs) Yep. And just to finish up, is there an engineer that you admire? I love Anthony Gordy. He's not an engineer. He is an architect, although I classify him as an engineer and a builder as well. So his most famous work was the La Sagrada Familia in Ah, Barcelona. Yes, Yes, in Barcelona. The concepts that he has was actually very advanced for his time, I believe. As an architect, you know, normally you're you're very concerned about the aesthetic of it, but he is also very concerned about the functionality and how it is actually going to be built, the practicality of things. So he actually mimic the whole structure to nature. So this is a very, I would say he's probably the forefathers of uh, biomimicry in terms of buildings, mimicking the the way nature behaves and translating that back into uh, a building, a structure. So like how a skeleton works or how a tree trunk works. So he's done this whole concept of catenary arch actions that he used to build the whole La Sagrada Familia. So yeah, I'm I'm still very in awe, you know, and I was lucky enough to actually visit some of his buildings in Spain, and that was uh, mind blowing. Were they as good in person as they are in photos and such? Yeah, they're still completing it after well about a hundred years yeah. now, yes. more than hundred years, <laughs> which is it shows right how <laughs> complex it is, and to be able to conceive that the whole thing in his mind architect, builder, engineer, all in one. I think that's full on. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fabulous conversation. Yes, thanks for speaking with us. Yeah, thanks, Mel and Dom for having me. And thank you for listening to Engineering Heroes as we present the new dawn of engineering challenges for Engineers Australia. Your hosts have been Melanie and Dominic DeJoya. You can view this episode's show notes or learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. If you enjoyed today's show, all we ask you to do is go and tell someone, either in person or write a review. It's that easy to show your support for engineers everywhere. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions.